couple of weeks ago, I watched uh, part of a news interview with retired General Rick Hillier, uh, former commander of the Canadian military, who now oversees Ontario's COVID-19 vaccine distribution task force. In this interview, General Hillier was asked a lot of questions, as usual, and a lot of them, at that point, he just simply didn't have answers to. And so all he could say after listening to the questions and trying his best was, these are the things that keep me awake at night. What keeps you awake at night? There have been a lot of people, I think, in 2020 that have been awake at night, have had sleepless nights. Uh, probably none so more than the people of Portapique, Nova Scotia. So another news uh, feature that I saw on December 11th, just a few days ago, uh, came eight months after the date of Canada's worst mass killing from the community of Portapique, and the reporter said this, Portapique is dotted with for sale signs. Leon Jaudry has decided to leave, hoping that will bring him peace. And then Jaudry came on air. Uh, this is a man whose next door neighbor perished um, in April and who hasn't been to his house since those fateful days. He said, I can't sleep here. I can't shut my eyes. So what is it for you, for me? What is it that keeps us awake at night? What keeps you from experiencing peace? Is it a strained or broken relationship? I think most people would say that this is the number one thing that keeps them awake at night. In fact, all of the other issues are usually re rooted in relationship that has somehow been strained. Is it financial stress, issues at work, a struggling business, poor health, maybe your own health or the health of someone else that you love? Maybe it's the passing of a loved one or a loss, a significant loss of some kind. Is it a problem that you can't solve? A problem that there seems to be just no answers for? We all long for peace, don't we? To be able to sleep at night. And that's why Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus and the declaration of the angelic host at the birth of Jesus is so endearing and so magnetic. So in Isaiah chapter 9, where we've been for the last few weeks, Excuse me, verse 1 says this, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. It's a picture of peace. And then in verse 6, a little bit later on, it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, 
praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, one of the express purposes that God had in sending Jesus was to promote peace. The question is, what does that look like? So as Pastor Jonathan said last week, there was an immediate application to Isaiah's prophecy. And he told us about how Isaiah the prophet went in to see Ahaz, the wicked king of Judah, who actually had good news for this uh, king, even though he wasn't following the Lord, the Lord was gracious and merciful and compassionate. And Isaiah, or Isaiah said to Ahaz, you're not going to be destroyed, but God himself will save his people and he will save you. And the rod of your oppressor will be broken. I'm sure that was good news of peace for King Ahaz. Despite his wickedness, God determined to save his people. And the result was, Having been saved, his people then would learn to keep their minds stayed on God, resulting in peace. It says that later in chapter 26, I do believe. And then to practice the way of peace with each other, as he intended them to, to not wander away from God and to treat each other horribly. But there's also a future fulfillment and application to this prophecy. And so what does is, what is Isaiah's words mean for us. You see, we often think about peace as the absence of something, right? So the dictionary defines peace this way, freedom from disturbance. So if you remove disturbance, you will have tranquility. Freedom from disturbance, tranquility, a state or period in which there is no war. So we think, well, if I can only remove or at the very least mitigate conflict or tension or stress or, or frantic busyness and overloaded schedule and all of these other aggravating circumstances, then I'll be able to experience peace if only those things are gone. But listen, peace is so much more than that. Peace for the most part is actually something I can experience which I include or take on more into my life rather than what I exclude from my life going, say what? How does, how does that work? You see, psychology would say, eliminate things. Eliminate distraction. Don't hang around negative people. Uh, do less. You know, declutter, not just your, your house or your closet, but declutter your life. But that's not really reality, is it? I mean, it's good to slow down and all that kind of stuff, but the reality is that sometimes, maybe a lot, especially if you have young kids at home, life can be hectic and chaotic most of the time. And having young kids in the house is just one slice of the pie. Then there's the rest of life. Listen, aside from eliminating sin, which psychology doesn't address, peace primarily results from what we include in our lives and what we strive toward, not from what we eliminate. So this morning, I'm gonna, or today, I'm gonna focus on incorporation versus elimination. So we know from Isaiah that this Prince of Peace, this Prince of Shalom, the word used in the Old Testament, is Jesus. And so when we incorporate Jesus, and I'm not talking about just adding Jesus, 
as another spoke in the wheel and another thing that we do, another person that we have to relate to. But I'm talking about when we incorporate Jesus at the very center of our lives, around which everything else revolves, we will experience the incredible peace of God that he intended for us to have. I would say despite and even in the midst of the chaos, of the turmoil, of the busyness and the conflicts of real life. So there are three aspects uh, today that, of peace that we can experience because of Jesus. And these three things are this. Number one, because of Jesus, we can experience peace with God. So the Apostle Paul to uh, the, the church in Rome, he said this, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, Paul said, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Peace with God. And so to the church at Ephesus, Paul wrote something similar, but he takes us a bit further. But he said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this is uh, verbiage and it, and it is an allusion actually to the prophecy of Isaiah later on in chapter 57. Those who are far off and those who are near. Paul goes on. For he himself, Christ, is our peace who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he himself might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Spirit, uh, access in one Spirit, to the Father. So peace in the Old Testament, the word is shalom, it means this. It means wholeness, completeness, health, the total welfare uh, and well-being of my life. It literally means to be saved, salvation. In the New Testament, peace, the word irene, means to reconcile, to be made right, and, and, and interestingly enough, the, the root of the Old Testament shalom means to make amends. Amends and reconciliation go together, resulting in freedom and salvation. Listen, peace is not freedom from disturbances in our life. Peace is freedom in Christ. When we are reconciled to God through Christ, when we are made complete in him, when our relationship with God Almighty is amended through Christ, then we will experience true peace. You see, God has covenanted with us. He has promised to us. It says this in Malachi 2 verse 5. He has covenanted to give us life and peace. Those are promises of God. Two of the greatest blessings that you and I can ever receive. And he did so in Jesus. So on Monday, just a few days ago, my uh, five-year-old grandson, Caleb, called me from New Brunswick, and the first words out of his mouth were this. It was actually one of the proudest moments of my life. He said, Papa, when Jesus died at Easter, and I went, wait a minute, it's Christmas, it's not Easter, but carry on. 
Calum, what is it? He said, Papa, when Jesus died at Easter, he didn't stay dead forever. That means, this is the words of a five-year-old, that means that Jesus is life itself. The two things that God promises us through Christ are life and peace. That's the message of Jesus. All the time, not just at Easter and Christmas, but every day in between. So secondly, because of Jesus, we can experience not only peace with God, but the peace of God. So later in Isaiah chapter 26, he said this, you, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So when we come into relationship uh, with God through Christ and what he did for us, then it's an intentional matter of us keeping our mind stayed on that relationship and to keep trusting God. And that will bring peace. But how do we do that? So Paul, in the letter to the church at Philippi, he said this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In my devotions this week, I read this. It says, we should not expect a trouble-free life. Jesus warned us that in this life we would experience trouble. Faith does not keep you from trouble, but it helps you to get through trouble. Don't focus on your troubles, but focus on the one who carries you through them. Bring Christ into your life. Don't bring all of these other things into your life. There's a great quote that I read this week. It says this, ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets in them. Don't let what's happening around you get inside you and weigh you down. What we need to do is allow Christ inside of us who gives us the peace of God. Third, because of Jesus, we can experience not only peace with God and the peace of God, but now peace with others. And this is where I want to camp for a little bit today. This is the peace on earth and goodwill toward man uh, kind of peace. You see, our relationship with Jesus has to be practical. Peace with God through Christ and the peace of God must translate into how we live, and that is peace with others. So, uh, Galatians tells us that the fruit of God's spirit, spirit, so when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, the fruit that he produces in us, one of them is peace. Paul said again to the church at Rome, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And Paul wrote this because people were disputing about all kinds of matters, like whether or not we should eat meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. And then he'll pick up that, uh, that theme in chapter 14. He's in Romans 12 here. And then in the middle in chapter 13, this is very interesting. He said uh, that we should submit to governing authorities. Uh, later on to the young man, Timothy, he said not only submit, but pray for them that we might live peaceably. And then Romans 14, verse 17, Paul wrote this. For the kingdom of God, remember, um, of his government, Isaiah said, 
the increase of his, his government, there shall be no end to peace. So, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Disputable matters. Man, if there ever was a message we need to hear right now, this is it. Could we substitute the word food for masks? I think so. So how do we pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding? This is a significant question in these days. Based on his book, uh, Pursuing Peace, A Christian Guide to Handling Conflicts, a man by the name of Robert Jones wrote an article uh, which is a summary of the book called Eight Ways We Can Pursue Peace. And I want to summarize that article for you today where he talks about eight godly attitudes from Colossians chapter 3 that are foundational to biblical peacemaking, the way we live with other people. Eight attitudes are founded on the facts that, number one, we are God's chosen people. That means we're secure in Christ if we have peace with God through Christ. Secondly, that we are holy. That means that we are set apart for a purpose by God. And that is to be peacemakers, to be ministers of peace and reconciliation. And, and third, the fact that we are dearly loved because love is the basis for all peace and all relationships. So I think, uh, friends, that you know, if we use this time in our, in our history, this time of restriction and isolation to focus on these eight attitudes, which I'm gonna summarize, our relationships and I think our personal level of peace will only increase. We'll become better than ever once life returns to some sense of normalcy and we begin interacting more with people. So let's not look at what we've lost. Let's look at what we can gain as we incorporate these eight attitudes into our lives. The author calls them grace attitudes. What we put on, what we clothe ourselves with. Not what we eliminate, but what we actually take on which will promote peace. So number one, from Colossians 3, clothe yourself with compassion. Compassion is a deeply felt emotional response of pity for a suffering person coupled with a desire to alleviate that suffering. That's what we should focus on. So on October 20th, the CTV News reported this. Again, back to Portapik. The Nova Scotia government confirmed to, a CTV, to CTV News that it has entered into an agreement to purchase the property at 200 Portapik Beach Road. That's where the perpetrator of the mass killings lived. The transaction, the reporter said, is scheduled to close later this month. The people of Portapik deserve healing and peace. The property is a painful reminder of the tragedy that occurred on April 19, 18 and 19, and we want to make sure it is not used in a way that negatively impacts the community's ability to heal, said Heather Fairburn, a spokesperson for the Department of Justice. Any possible future use of the property will be carefully considered in light of the trauma experienced by the families. Friends, that is a compassionate response, and that leads to peace. Secondly, clothe yourself with kindness. Showing mercy. Kindness is showing mercy and doing good, even to people who do not deserve it, and in fact deserve just the opposite. 
Isn't that all of us? I mean, th this term kindness is frequently refers to the Lord's saving actions toward us. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul said, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. In the words of Dr. Bonnie Henry, be kind, be calm, be safe. I think her theology on this point and a few other points I might add has been spot on. Number three, clothe yourself with humility. Recognizing that all you have, you have comes from God and that you are absolutely dependent on him. Paul's culture admired things like dominance and self-assertion and one-upsmanship. Humility in Paul's Roman culture was an abject, servile quality, despised, and yet Paul exalts it as a strength which is necessary for promoting peace. You see, without humility, friends, none of us would be saved. From my devotions yesterday said this, our whole lives should be devoted to exalting the name of Jesus and not exalting ourselves. The writer of Proverbs says, if you have played the fool and exalted yourself, or if you have planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. For as churning the milk produces butter and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife, a lack of peace. The devotional writer said, we call people stirrers if they stir up arguments, conflict, and anger. And the opposite is stirring up good things. Seek to be someone who never stirs up anger, but rather good. Never seek to exalt yourself, but only Jesus. Number four, clothe yourself with gentleness. Oh, how we need gentle speech, which I read about the other day. We need gentle speech these days. We need it online. We need it in the newspapers. We need it about one another and to one another. Gentleness is not to be confused with weakness. In fact, the greatest and most powerful leader who ever lived and walked the face of this earth was also the most gentle and humble. Number five, clothe yourselves with patience. Patience can be defined two ways, actually. It is endurance under trial and perseverance amid hardship. We need that these days. But relational patience is being long-suffering, long-fused, and long-tempered towards those who irritate us. Number six, clothe yourself with forbearance. Forbearance is actually taking patience to another level, and it is the link between patience and forgiveness. So forbearance literally means bearing with one another, putting up with things for the sake of peace, taking patience to a whole new level. And, and seven, clothe yourself, uh, Paul said, with forgiveness. Forgive Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, he wrote. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, it amazes me. It amazes me how many people would rather remain bitter than to forgive. But as one wise person said, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. There's no peace in that. Forgive. You see, unforgiveness puts our own peace with God, our, our own forgiveness in jeopardy. Jesus said that in Matthew 6. And finally, and this is the most important, clothe yourself with love. 
And over all these virtues, said Paul, put on love, put it on, which binds them all together, all of these attitudes in perfect unity. Love is self-sacrificial giving for the other person's best, and it brings peace. Now this whole section, these eight attitudes, concludes in Colossians 3 verse 15 this way, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so we come full circle. You see, this kind of peace on earth, peace with men, is only possible with the peace of God and ultimately possible with the peace with God. And so my question to you is, does the peace of Christ rule in your heart? And the cool thing is, when we pursue and promote peace with each other, we actually promote peace with God. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And James said, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Working toward peace actually points people to the God of peace, to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who is the embodiment of these eight attitudes himself. Jesus is the compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forbearing, forgiving, loving Savior of the world. The most important question today, and this is what I want to leave you with, is this. Do you have peace with God? It's the most important question that we need to ask and answer. Do you have peace with God? You see, the kingdom of God will not fail. God is working out his purposes in history. Jesus is the centerpiece of history. All lines in history converge on him as someone who has said, the hinge of history is on the door of a Bethlehem stable. And when we hang everything on that hinge, we will have peace. So on Monday, actually twice a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, um, I call my dad. Uh, siblings are taking turns calling dad. He lives alone in Saskatoon. So I called my dad on Monday and we were chatting and he asked me what I was doing and I said, I'm working on a sermon that I'm going to preach online. And he said, uh, when I told him what I would be preaching, he thought for a moment and he said, you know, we need more peace in the world and in our own lives, maybe. Then he said this, if we don't have peace with God, we're in trouble. That's wisdom, dad, that's wisdom. And it's interesting that in these times of great unrest and great unheaval in our history, so many people think that to exert their, their rights, their perceived rights, I would say, their religious rights, their human rights, to exert those rights will bring them peace, but they don't. They won't. They can't. Only Jesus can. The Apostle John said to those who believed in him, to those who called upon his name, he gave the right to be called children of God, to have peace with God. And that is the only right, friends, it's the only right that we can claim, period. It's the only right that will bring us true and lasting peace. Friends, exercise that right. Believe in him and call upon his name. Let's pray. I simply want to pray the prayer of St. Francis as we conclude today and as we focus on this message. 
St. Francis said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Amen.